In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A most blessed eighth Sunday after Holy Trinity to each one of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and an especially joyful day because we welcome into our midst Vicar Belcher, who will be installed next service along with his wife, Lauren, and his son, Elijah. In fact, we welcome them back because the Belchers joined our congregation when Nick began his undergraduate studies at Concordia University, Irvine. During those years, of course, God blessed their marriage with Elijah, who was baptized here at Faith. And not long after that, Vicar Belcher completed his studies, and off they went to Concordia Theological Seminary. One of the unique blessings that God has worked through this relatively small congregation is that we have sent many men, in fact, well into the double digits, to seminary. Men who are now spending their lives proclaiming the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. The gospel, that good news of Christ crucified for our forgiveness and Christ risen as the pastor and bishop of our souls. In fact, at present, we are blessed to have two of our own attending seminary, not only Vicar Belcher, but also Jonah Laws. Jonah and his family are heading to Oregon to begin their vicarage there. In the Lutheran Church, a vicar is a man who's in his third year of seminary, He spends his third year in the congregational setting serving under a pastor. The title vicar comes from the Latin word vicarious, to be in the place of. The pastor directs the vicar to do various works of ministry in his place. Just as the title pastor reminds us that Jesus is our good shepherd, our good pastor, So the title vicar also reminds us of the work of our Lord. We call his death on the cross the vicarious atonement because he is there in our place. Greater love has no other than this, that he would lay down his life for us, his friends. Today in the lessons from Holy Scripture, we have teaching about the pastoral office and we have warning about false prophets, whether they hold the pastoral office or not. From the book of Acts, we hear St. Paul say to pastors, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I would draw your attention to three things. One, the church doesn't belong to any pastor or to any man. It is the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Individual pastors come and go. We have strengths and weaknesses. We help and sometimes we disappoint. And it is also the case that On a long enough timeline, individual congregations come and go. These also have strengths and weaknesses, people who help us and people who hurt us. But the church doesn't belong to any one Christian. 
or any group of Christians. The church belongs to God. And the truth is, if we'll have no part with his church, then we'll have no part with him. Two, it is the Holy Spirit who makes men overseers in God's church. In Acts chapter 20, the same group of men are referred to as elders, as shepherds, from which we get the word pastor, and as overseers, from which we get the word bishop. What do we learn from this? There is only one office of the holy ministry, and it has many names. It is the Holy Spirit who calls men into this office. How does he call men into this office? He works through the congregation and calls specific men to serve in this role. It's a human process, and yet also a divine process through which the Holy Spirit himself extends this call. Third and final point, St. Paul tells the men who have been called to serve as pastors to care for the church of God, which he, which God, purchased with his own blood. God's blood. The church belongs to God precisely because God has shed his own blood for us. As great as your sins may be, you have been cleansed by something far greater. As many as your sins might be, you have been cleansed by something that easily encompasses all of them. And as deep as your sins may be, you have been cleansed by something deeper still, the blood of God. Our Lord Jesus is not only true man, but also true God. And it is his blood that atones for you, his blood that he pours out for you from the chalice to your lips. The blood of the New Testament poured out for you to drink for the forgiveness of your sins. Real Jesus, real blood, real forgiveness. In summary, the pastoral office has been given to us by Jesus as a gift so that his gospel might be preached to us and his sacraments be administered to us that our faith in him might always be renewed and strengthened and expanded. Let's turn now to our Lord's warning about false prophets, whether they hold the pastoral office or not. And I will be more or less going line for line, so if you'd like to look at your service folder or handout, you may find that beneficial. Beware of false prophets, our Lord says, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. What is our Lord's first point? False prophets don't advertise themselves as such. In fact, they look like sheep. They look like Christians. They act like Christians. But it's a facade. Inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. It is no doubt true that sometimes you can spot spot a false prophet by his behavior. But that's not what our Lord has in mind here. Our Lord has in mind the kind of false prophet who looks just like 
a sheep. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. What is the fruit of a prophet? It's his words. His deeds make him look like a sheep, but his words, that's where you can see what kind of fruit the prophet bears. The fruit of a prophet comes from his mouth. Don't pay attention to the sheep's clothing, to the external appearances. Pay attention to the fruit that comes from his mouth. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? No. Are figs gathered from thistles? No. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Again, our Lord is speaking here of prophets. Some are good trees bearing good fruit. They speak the word of the Lord, proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, and administer his sacraments faithfully. But some are bad trees bearing bad fruit, destined, as our Lord says, to be cut down and thrown into the fire. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So you can see very clearly that in this context, this doesn't have anything to do with Christians in general, or with what we sometimes call simul justus ad peccator, that biblical teaching that Christians are both sinner and saint. In this context, that makes no sense. Then one would have to say, I am partly a good tree and partly a bad tree. But Jesus isn't speaking about Christians here. He is speaking about prophets. And thus there are definitively good trees who teach rightly and bad trees who teach wrongly. You will recognize them by their fruits, by what's coming out of their mouths. Do they preach Jesus at all? Or do they preach their own dreams and visions and ideas? Perhaps labeling it all with Jesus' name so that it sounds as though it might have come from him. Or is it the biblical Jesus, the true Jesus they preach, or is it one who is different? who saves in some other way than through his cross, who is some other savior than the one who is true God and true man? Is it repentance and forgiveness of sins that they preach? Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life, apart from whom no one can come to the Father. Or do they preach that all religions are true, that there are many paths to God and many saviors, or that you must, with Jesus' help, save yourself? You will not always recognize a false prophet by his works. Very often they look just like sheep. But you will recognize them by their words. Whether they be pastors or seminary professors or teachers of theology or conference speakers or internet theologians, pay attention to the fruit that comes from their lips and beware, our Lord says. 
What our Lord says next, he also says in regard to false prophets. It may help to remind you that the paragraph breaks put in English Bibles, put in your bulletin, weren't there originally. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Often we hear these words or read these words and we're filled with terror because we know that we do not always do the will of our Heavenly Father. We know that we daily sin much and fall into many works of lawlessness. And thus we become fearful that we must be hypocrites or fake Christians. That we may indeed stand before Jesus at the judgment seat saying, Lord, Lord. And he will rightly and justly say to us, depart from me, I never knew you. But my friends, if Satan himself could teach us to read the scripture, he'd teach us to read it in just this way. In the first place, if such a reading is true, then we would have to do the will of the Father perfectly in order to qualify. And we would have to be without sin and fall into no works of lawlessness. Only then would Jesus acknowledge us as his own. Are these things in any way true? Absolutely not. Jesus came not for the well, but for the sick. Not for righteous, but for sinners. If perfect obedience to the Father and complete absence of lawless deeds are required in order to be a genuine Christian and get into heaven, then not even St. Peter or St. Paul are going to get in. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. So let's try it again. Are you a false prophet? No? Then our Lord isn't speaking about you. Is it your plan to stand before our Lord at his coming and say to him, Lord, I have prophesied in your name. I have cast out demons in your name. I have done many mighty works in your name. No? Then our Lord isn't speaking about you. Our Lord's words aren't about you. They're for you, so that you will beware of false prophets. Just because they look like sheep and act like Christians, just because they use the name of Jesus when they perform exorcisms, miracles, or other signs and wonders, it doesn't mean that they belong to him. Pay attention to their words. Pay attention to the fruit that comes from their lips, and you will know them. So often, especially in America, it seems, we're focused on the morality of our religious leaders. And given the many scandals that have plagued us, especially as of late, I suppose this is necessary. But our Lord would have us focus even more closely on what fruit is coming out of their mouths. All men are sinners, and this will inevitably show up in their lives in one form or another. But not all men are false prophets. 
We must judge these not only by their lives, but even more so by the doctrines they teach. And our Lord warns us precisely because he loves us, because he doesn't want you to be led astray. He desires that we would hear his voice and be saved, for that indeed is the will of the Father, that all would come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. To do the will of the Father is for the preacher to preach the full counsel of God's word, the center of which is Christ crucified and the forgiveness of sins. For hearers, it is to repent and believe in Jesus, to turn from sin and trust in Jesus, to turn from self-righteousness and trust in Jesus. His righteousness is your righteousness. It's sufficient. His blood cleanses you from all your sins. You are forgiven. May God protect us from false prophets and bless the preaching of the gospel here in this place. May our God bless pastor, vicar, and congregation, and may he ever draw your heart nearer to his son, Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.